uh, grab your Bibles, go ahead and open up uh, to Mark chapter 10. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for uh, the gift of grace that is made possible through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we know that, that it's through his sacrifice on the cross and by faith in him that we may have eternal life, that we even have the ability to know you. God, will you, will you help us wrestle with the truths of your word today? Help us to leave here wanting to be changed, wanting to walk according to your spirit. Oh God, will you do that today? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, you've heard it here before. Um, it, it's been brought up many times, and it'll continue to be brought up, but the idea of your identity is, is possibly one of the most important things for you to understand. Who are you? The thing is, is when we wake up in the morning, we begin to tell ourselves a little bit about who we are. We, we preach to ourselves who we are in, in the way that we live our lives and, and, and uh, the things that we tell ourselves in our minds. And in fact, it, it becomes formative to the way that we understand who we are, who God is, how we should relate to others, and how we understand the world. It's important that you tell yourself the truth about these things. And the truth is, is that if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. In fact, you are in Christ. And that has a, a whole host of ramifications on how you should live your life and what it looks like. But I have, to, I have to ask you, do you think of yourself as a child of God? And all that that might entail, are you comfortable with being a child of God? These are important questions, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today in our text. In fact, one of the things that we're going to look at is that it's extremely important that we have an understanding of ourselves as children before God. And that that will have an impact on the way that we should live our lives. The way that we approach God and the way that we treat other people. So, uh, that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going. Mark chapter 10. We'll begin in uh, verse uh, 13. And what you're going to see is, uh, there's some stages in this text. You're going to see a, a child put forward. And, and there's going to be an emphasis on an attitude of dependence on that child. And then there's going to be a man, and you're going to see that that man does not have an attitude of dependence, at least not dependence on God. And then Jesus uh, gives some teaching about what it means to depend upon God. And then I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap it up for something, uh, something that we can do, some, something that, that is important for us to understand and move forward with in our own lives regarding dependence upon God. So, uh, Mark uh, chapter 10, uh, begin in verse 13. Will you read with me? Uh, and they were bringing children to him so that they, he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant 
and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. The first thing I want you to see here is that Jesus values children. Jesus values children. And there are parallels uh, with our world today about valuing children. Because Jesus valuing children was countercultural at that time, and it's still countercultural today. There is an emphasis to not value children in our world today. But we as believers, we as followers of Jesus need to think carefully about what it means to value children and ask ourselves, is that reflected in our own life? But I'm going to put that in a little box, I'm going to lock it up, and we're going to push that aside because that's not the main point of what we're talking about today. But it is something that's important that we see here in the text. What is the main point? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Like a child. You know, there's, there's so many uh, songs written about childlike faith. There's, you know, if you go online and, and just do a search for childlike faith, you're going to find so many different quotes, sermons built upon it. And, and some of the songs and quotes and sermons and writing is really great. And some of it's not so great. So I want you to think with me. What exactly about being a child is important in order to receive the kingdom of God. What is it? Some have said that uh, it's the fact that children are pure. So we need to be pure as children are pure. For some of you that have children, you're like, "Mm, I don't know that children are very pure. You know? Okay, most of you that have children. Uh, Some have said that uh, it's, it's because children are so joyful They're just joyful all the time, and we need to receive the kingdom of God with joy. Like a child has joy. But again, if you're a parent, you know that children aren't always joyful, right? It's not not a universal that children are always joyful. In fact, uh, at my house, there's a common uh, uh, phrase or saying or or rhythm uh, that, that happens where I ask my children to do something, and a lot of times they do it great. I have great kids. But sometimes... They do it begrudgingly. And I try to remind them, hey, when I ask you to do something, I want you to do it, and I want you to do it with a joyful heart. I wouldn't have to remind my children of that if they were always joyful, right? So that's probably not it. Some have said, well, it's because because children just believe things so easily. They believe things so easily. For example, if one of my kids comes to me and says, Dad, what what does this word mean? And I tell them, I mean, I could tell them anything. I could literally say anything in that moment, and they would probably believe me, right? So is that easy easy to believe something? Is that that what is, is, is meant here, that we need to just believe easily in things? Certainly, you need to believe in Jesus. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. That, that uh, Remember what the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So certainly belief in Jesus is important, but is it just an easy believing? Is that, is that kind of 
what we're talking about here? I mean, I don't think so. Later on in, in, in the scriptures, we're, we're called to uh, test uh, what people say, according to the scriptures, to think clearly about things, to think carefully about things, right? Particularly with the, uh, with the concept of there being false teachers in this world and false gospels that are being spread. So, so it's, it's not necessarily that we're supposed to believe things easily. I submit to you that the aspect of a child that we are to embody in order to receive the kingdom of God is dependence. Dependence. Children all have to depend on someone else for everything in their life. For their food, their clothing, their welfare. Children depend on others. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at here, that we need to receive the kingdom of God with complete dependence on God himself. We need to receive the kingdom of God with complete dependence on God himself. So the question I'm going to ask is, do you depend on God? Do you depend on God for everything? What do you depend on? Some of us depend on uh, our, our job titles, our status among social crowds, our money, our bank accounts, that retirement account that we need to keep growing, house. There's a lot of things that we depend on in our lives and they will compete for our dependence on God. And Jesus is saying, the way the child depends, that's what you need to receive the kingdom of God. That's what's important. It's really interesting. Why do I say that? Because Mark puts this next passage right after this, and it's a picture of a man who is not dependent on God. Look, look, with, look with me at verse 17. And we see a man that ends up depending on his possessions. Verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay, here's another thing that I'm going to lock in a box and put to the side because it's important, but not the main point of the text. Good teacher, and then Jesus says, no one is good except God. In other words, those two words don't go together unless you are recognizing me as God. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, look, there's no one good but God. So if you're going to come to me and call me good teacher, then you're recognizing that I am God. Okay? It's kind of interesting. Put that in a box, put it to the side. Okay. If you want to talk more about it, come, come to the home group that, on Tuesday night. I'm sure I'll, I'll get lit up at that home group for it. All right. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Here's what he's saying. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
For those of you who are students of the scriptures, you'll recognize that, that is, that's the second tablet of the Decalogue, the second uh, tablet of the Ten Commandments, right? The first tablet deals with your relationship vertically between you and God. The second tablet deals with your relationships horizontally, how that plays out in the world. And Jesus quotes from that second tablet. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Interestingly, do not defraud is not on that second tablet. It's likely that Jesus recognizes that uh, fraudulent gathering of money might be what's going on with this guy. I, I don't know exactly, but do not defraud is not on there. I think it's important that it's here particularly because we're about to find out that this man was very wealthy. And, and when we think about stealing, we typically think about, oh, I'm going to take a pack of gum or, or, or something along those lines, right? I'm going to steal from a store. But it could be also that Jesus is saying, have the way in which you gathered your wealth been ethically questionable? Have you been fraudulent in how you've done things? That might be what he's saying here. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. I've kept all these things. Now, is it true that he's kept all these things? Probably not. Why do I say it's not true? Because when Jesus arrives on the scene in the New Testament, what does he do? He begins to explain the law. And he begins to teach that the law is not just about your actions. It's about your heart, right? He says to people, the law says do not murder. But I tell you that if you have hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Do you, see, do you see what's happening here? Jesus is explaining the law to people as he's walking along. And here, a man says, I've kept, I've kept it perfectly. So there's probably some self-righteousness going on with this guy. And how does Jesus respond to someone who's uh, self-righteous before him? He, I mean, he probably responds the way he... You and I would, right? Like, angry, right? How dare you say that you've kept the law of God, right? Nope, it's not what he does. Look at what he does. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Jesus loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. There's the first time we see that this man is a rich man who has a lot of wealth and earthly possessions. And he goes away sad because he has much property. Now, Jesus is not only asking for a renunciation of possessions here. He's asking for a total change in his lifestyle, right? He says uh, to go sell everything, give to the poor, and come follow me. It's an invitation to discipleship, but it's an invitation to literally follow Jesus. This change in lifestyle would include uh, walking with Jesus, traveling with him, living off of communal resources as a group, He's to give all that he had, all that he had. Some translations will say whatever he had. And the demand is total, and the call of discipleship is absolute. And one writer says this, 
With the abundance of one's chattel comes one's trust and dependence upon that abundance, accompanied by a strong reluctance to relinquish that seemingly secure reservoir of plenty. That gets to the heart of what is being taught right here. To receive the kingdom of God is to receive it and its accompaniments as one not depending on one's own possessions or wealth, but depending rather upon the grace of God, the grantor of all good things, both here and in the hereafter. So the, the problem here is not necessarily the possession of wealth or property. Rather, it's the, the attachment to that property, the attachment to that wealth. It's, it's a heart condition, as with all sin. In fact, no amount of law observance will turn hearts to God if they're set on the desire for material things. Because Jesus, just several weeks ago, advised radical surgery, right? Do you remember that? He talked about that you need to cut off your hand, you need to cut out your eye, you need to chop off your leg, because it's better to enter the kingdom of God maimed than to not enter it at all. And we know, we talked about this, that, that Jesus isn't actually advocating, you know, chopping your leg off. What he's saying is, look, if there's something that's going to keep you from entering the kingdom, if there's something that's keeping you from God, get rid of it. And we talked about how that something was any kind of sin, any kind of sin. Well, Jesus here is talking about this guy and how he needs to get rid of his possessions. Because it's going to be a hindrance. In fact, if Jesus uh, calls, us to, um, calls us to radical surgery to cut the sin out of our lives and that it's better um, even if we're maimed, how much more then should we get rid of possessions that anchor our soul to this world and will only fuel the flames of judgment? In other words, if your heart is wrapped around earthly possessions, wealth, a house, land, car. If your heart is wrapped around those things, it's going to make it really hard to live for God, to be dependent upon him. The making of money, keeping of money, protection of money, and generation of even more money, if conducted with an attitude of dependence upon it, will turn out as a distraction from the singular focus of discipleship that Jesus demands. That's the fact of the matter. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That if you're someone who depends upon your wealth more than God, it's going to be really hard to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you possess. Well, what, what, did, what did he lack? The rich man lacked for nothing, at least according to the world and according to religious perceptions of the day. It, it, it was thought that one who is uh, appearing to follow the law and had this preponderance of wealth was being blessed by God. That's the same idea that we think of today, isn't it? They seem to be following God and they're super wealthy, so they're probably blessed by God. The problem is we know that that's not always how it goes together. We know that. 
Just because someone's wealthy and they look righteous doesn't mean they're being blessed by God. There's lots of righteous people in the world who aren't wealthy according to earthly riches. You guys understand that? That that is extremely important. We can't always equate one with the other. In fact, uh, this idea of of, uh, earthly wealth being linked to uh, blessing and happiness, we know it's not true. From, From 1957 to 1990, the per capita income in America Uh, doubled in real money. 1957 to 1990, in terms of real money, the per capita income doubled. Yet, the the report of Americans being very happy remained unchanged over that time, at one-third. And why is that? It's because people in our culture have plenty to live on, but little to live for. It's an example of the the, the bankrupt spiritual lives of so many Americans. All the money in the world can't set your heart right. Only God can do that. Only living according to the Spirit can do that. He also, uh, th- this man lacked a dependence and trust on the Lord. God requires uh, something a whole lot more than just reverence for Jesus and zealous acts of obedience. He requires radical trust. Radical trust. He wants you to trust him in every area of your life. He was afraid to expose himself to the uncertainties and insecurities of this world and of a future that he didn't know. He was afraid to make himself vulnerable like a child. He accumulated possessions to secure his life in the world, and he accumulated obedience to the commandments to secure his life in the world to come. He wasn't dependent upon God. He was dependent upon earning his way and that safety net of wealth. Now, uh, it, it, it should strike us that Jesus says to sell everything and follow him. In fact, it struck the disciples. Look, look at what Jesus says here in verse 23, and this is where he begins to really explain it from the perspective of, of uh, eternity. And Jesus, looking around, uh, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, Children. Do you know, this is the only time the disciples are referred to as children in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The only time. Could it be that Jesus is calling them to be children, just just like he just taught about receiving the kingdom of God like a child? Ah, That's what I think. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to look at something here. He starts off, verse 23, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And you know what happens whenever we talk about wealth and giving up possessions and things like that? We start to develop this artificial imaginary line, right? What is wealthy? And you get an idea in your head, and that line is always something above what you have, right? 
Okay, it's hard for a wealthy person to enter. <laughs> Not wealthy. <laughs> Whew, finally found a passage in the scriptures that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> right? That's what we do. We find ways to try to get out of what the word says. So Jesus hems us in. He sees that they're amazing. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Period. For everyone. It's hard. In fact, Jesus explains it's so hard, it's like uh, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I have to tell you, there are a lot of um, interesting interpretations on this verse. A lot of writing on this idea of it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And there's a fancy Greek word that I like to use for most of those interpretations, hogwash. <laughs> I really don't think those are accurate. I, I think Jesus means exactly what he says here, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The camel was the largest land animal known to the Israelites at that time, right? So that big animal, eye of a needle, really tiny. In other words, it's impossible to enter the kingdom of God as a rich man. In fact, I, it's impossible for anyone. And the, and the disciples see that. They go, uh, they were more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? That's a logical question, right? Come on, Jesus, this guy, he believed, he, he followed all the commandments. He's obviously blessed. He's super wealthy. If he can't get in, who's going to get in? Who can be saved, Jesus? Who? Because this sounds impossible. And it's almost like Jesus is like, yeah, you're finally getting it. <laughs> it's impossible. That's kind of my point. That's what I'm trying to teach you guys. Because look at what he says. With people, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. And now, I, I want you to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that it's by the grace of God that anyone can get into the kingdom of heaven. That without God's grace, no one's getting in. It would be like trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. It's not going to work. That's the picture here. And this verse is often taken out of context. Um, I'm going to talk about another verse. It's one of my favorites that's often taken out of context. Uh, Paul writes in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4. You guys have seen this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? And you guys have probably seen that. Uh, I, I, I've seen it on, on the wall of a gym. I've seen it on workout clothing, right? Because... Because that's the idea. I can do all things. Christ who strengthens me, right? Let me read you the context. This is what Paul says. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul talks about, look, I've, I've been poor, I've gone hungry, and like I've been blessed with prosperity, and I've been filled up, and I can live both ways. Well, hold on, Chris, you, you just told me that we need to get rid of our possessions, that, that wealth is a problem. No, 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 it's the attachment to wealth. It's your heart's inclination to wrap around that wealth and become dependent upon it instead of depending upon the Lord. Instead, if you are in Christ, learn how to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Learn how to live humbly. And if you've been blessed with wealth, learn how to live that way without your heart wrapping around it. Jesus makes reference to this idea that it's hard for rich people in Mark chapter 4. Do you guys remember the parable uh, of, the, of the sower the, that drops the seed on the different soils? We, we've already talked about this in Mark, but let me remind you. Uh, when he explains uh, one section of the parable, this is what he says, Mark chapter 4, verse 18. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You see the words that are used there? Uh, the deceitfulness of riches. The desires for other things. These are heart words, right? It's not saying having these things. It's, it's a heart posture towards those things. Does anybody here... Remember the Franklin Expedition of 1845? Anyone? Oh, good. There was no one in first service. This is, this is great. No history bus. It means if I get something wrong, it's not a big deal. Okay. So uh, the Franklin Expedition, it was to the Arctic uh, in uh, 1845. And uh, it, it was kind of an, a turning point in exploration because of its epic failure. Uh, that, that's, that's why it's most widely known. Uh, the preparations made were more suitable uh, for the Royal Navy Officers Club in England than an expedition to the Arctic. Explorers made room on their ships uh, for a large library, you know, so you could do a lot of reading, uh, a hand organ, china place settings, cut wine, uh, cut glass wine goblets, sterling silver flatware. All of that was loaded up onto the onto the ships for, for this exploration. You know what wasn't loaded up? Extra coal for their steam engines. In fact, uh, when the search parties got sent out, they found, they found bodies that, that were you know, dead and frozen. And on these bodies were uniforms that were uh, kind of this blue with silver inlay and very intricate and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't gonna keep anybody warm, but it was really nice. They found some bodies where people were holding on to this, this, uh, this silverware. Some of the silverware was even engraved with like the, the officers' initials and their family crest, and it was just so ornate. If you can picture it in your mind, it looks, it's ridiculous. They, they were so attached to the trappings of this world that when they went on a mission, they didn't think to get rid of those things because they're not useful. Well, you and I are called to join the mission of God. 
We are called to, to live lives as disciples, followers of Christ with everything that that entails. And sometimes the wealth of this world, when we cling to it, it slows us down and it's a hindrance for our walk. So we need to get rid of it. Now, like I've said, some of you and probably most of you, including myself, have, have been able to explain a way that you're not wealthy, that uh, there's no worry for you. I have to tell you that our hearts are so good at, at speaking lies to us. And that's why I talked about in the beginning that we need to make sure that we're speaking the truth. That if you're a follower in Christ, then that means you are a child. And that includes dependence upon God for everything. And that there's a real danger of clinging so closely to the trappings of this world. We're not supposed to do that. Our home is not this world. Our home is in heaven. When I was in seminary, a professor uh, said that the, uh, the, last, the last thing uh, to be sanctified for someone is their wallet. And I remember sitting there going, that has kind of a bite to it. That's a little hard. What does that mean exactly? The point was simply this, that as we move towards spiritual maturity, it, it tends to be money that people hold on so tightly and they're afraid to let go. Now, I have, I have been in churches and I've sat in sermons where it's been preached. You need to step out in faith. I want you to think of a number, think of a percentage, do all those things. And, you know, we're doing a building campaign. We're going to build this amazing building. I need, I need you to donate everything you got to it, everything the Lord may be asking. I'm not going to do that because I, I have some issues with it. If you want, I'll talk to you offline later about why I have issues with that. But I will say this. There is something very real when you begin to look at your finances and how you spend your money that will tell you if you are depending upon God. And it will tell you if you think that you are a child of God and you have the right identity. Why do I say that? Because if you can sing the words that we just sang from the heart, truthfully, that, are, that it's about the greatness of our God, that he is all-powerful. That all our hope is in Jesus. And I especially love the bridge to build my life. That I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in the Lord. Folks, when you come to Christ, you have put your trust in him. You've put your faith in him. And he removes your sin. And he gives you newness of life. But that's not where, we're, where our trust is meant to end. We are to trust and depend on him every day. So I ask you to look this week. Look at, look at how you spend your money and how you spend your time. Is it true that you believe you are a child of God? Because if that's true, then what you're saying is God is enough. 
Oh, and by the way, it's not only what I give to the church that's God's. No, everything that I have is God's. My life, my money, my time, my possessions, everything is God's. And the question is, how do you steward it? Are you stewarding those things well that would be reflective of one who is dependent upon God as a child? That's what I want you to do this week. Think about those things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, oh, how hard it is to depend upon you. Not, not only for our salvation, which we know we must depend on you for, because we know that it's only the grace of God that can save us through faith. But Father, we need to learn to depend on you for everything in our life. We need to learn to get rid of the things that entrap us and ensnare us Father, will you help us to examine ourselves, to help us to ask if we're dependent upon you, if we approach your throne of grace as children, or if we still cling to the things that we hope might be able to save us. Father, will you do that this week? It's in Jesus' name I pray.